Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete That keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions present From Colchester to Sulawesi Written for Colm Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 16. Matters Ecclesiastical. Phil tells me of the proposition for overcoming our access problems, which the village elders have suggested, and it is rather drastic. There is a gentleman in Bahoo called Mr Oscar, who owns a piece of vacant land halfway up the village. He is prepared to sell this land to us, and the proposal is that we build a new Pentecostal church upon it. In exchange, we get the land on which the current church stands, which is adjacent to the lodge. We can then demolish the existing church and thereby achieve access to the lodge from the road. This will cost money, of course, and as usual, we won't know how much till it's all done. It's not a particularly big church, but it's bricks and mortar and quite old, so there's little chance of reusing any of the roof timbers and so on. We'd be building from scratch. So, it's drastic. But on consideration, there are certain definite advantages in moving the Pentecostal church, quite apart from scuppering any schemes and ideas that the Machetti family might have of holding us to ransom. It would increase the landholding of the lodge quite considerably, And it would mean that, with all respect, we would not have to listen to the Pentecostal church service from close range every Sunday, which isn't really a problem for us, but our future guests might not appreciate the early morning disturbance. We would then own all of the land as far as the village road, and this is flat land, to which good use could be put by, for example, building a swimming pool, if one were thinking of building such a thing, which one definitely is. And, of course, the Pentecostal vicar gets a nice new church, so he seems all in favour of the idea, and we would gain popularity with the Pentecostal congregation in the village. Anyway, it's something which we can discuss over a few glasses of wine once Phil has recovered from the jet lag, and we've done all the things which lovers do when reunited after yet another separation. Both of us are determined that this will be for the last time. The next time we'll go together, and one day soon we'll be going for good. And if moving a church is to be part of the process which allows that to happen, then so be it. Back to England means back to the gardens, and now that I've slowed the business to a virtual stop, I spend more time back where I started over two decades ago, and I'm back on the tools almost full time now. It feels as though a circle has been circumnavigated, and is soon to come to a close, and my remaining days in my first chosen profession will be spent in contented manual labour. I arrive on site at eight in the morning, leave at five in the afternoon, and tea and lunch breaks are spent on someone's lawn or in someone's garden shed if we haven't put the lawn down yet or if it's raining, and I relish the refound simplicity of this working life. 
Steve and I sort of grunt at each other in the morning, but neither of us are what one might call gregarious or outgoing by nature. So, otherwise, conversation throughout the day is limited to almost nothing, if neither of us wants anything from the other. But we're a good team, and this is probably our last job together. Because it's probably my last job, at the end of which we'll say a brief and manly farewell, having worked together for many years, and my career as a landscape gardener will be officially over. The lack of conversation between us does lead me to consider the fact that if I'm shortly to enter the hospitality business, I should try to become more hospitable and brush up a bit on the subtle art of communication and interpersonal skills with those of my own species. These aren't much needed when one's working day is spent with a concrete mixer and piles of building materials, and I suppose I have become what one might call a bit rusty in this regard. Soon, if all goes well, people and the care of people will be my vocation, so I'll have to be ready for that. Not that it's the kind of thing that one can practice, I suppose, so I'll probably have to learn on the job, so to speak. Of course, all this assumes that we are able to make a success of our new lives, and that Oni doesn't do any skullduggery before we've even started. But one has to remain optimistic, otherwise one's head might very well cave in, quietly or otherwise. Phil's and my future together in Bohowo. It will be the first time in our so far 29 year long relationship that we'll be living and working together all day, every day. Our characters are so different, and his laid back approach to life may find itself at odds with my more dynamic persona, or vice versa. 
It's not that he doesn't take life seriously, it's just that he tends to breeze through, irrespective of the situation he's dealing with. Like the time he phoned me at work from the train, on his way to escort Janet to a Queen's garden party at Buckingham Palace, to say he'd left his official invitation at home, and would it matter? Several phone calls later, a duplicate was produced, and he did go to the party. Then there was the time he phoned to be picked up from Colchester Station late one night, having spent the day with Janet at the House of Lords. He left home in the morning in his only decent but rather old pair of shoes, only to return home in just his socks. Apparently, one of the shoes had fallen apart in the house, and rather than have him tread the corridors of power unshod, Janet rushed him to a cobbler's in Victoria, who was able to effect a temporary repair which got him and the shoe through the day. However, the shoe finally disintegrated walking across the concourse of Liverpool Street Station, so he threw both shoes in a waste bin and travelled home without them. Janet has been a great friend to both of us, and although we did not know her when she was a career politician, we have become close since she's been in the Lords. She and Phil have a great fondness for one another, and she has done her best, rather against the odds, to occasionally elevate him into the upper echelons of English political society. For such occasions, Phil needs, but does not possess, a suit, but gets by OK by borrowing from my brother-in-law, John, who is a chartered accountant and so has plenty of them, and thank goodness for those handy shops in railway stations which sell neckties and cater for men such as Phil who forget to bring one. One evening, Janet invited him to an intimate function hosted by a former Prime Minister, with whom Janet is particularly good friends. When came the time to announce all of those present, Phil was the only untitled person in attendance. And after the toast had been given to the Queen, and those who smoked could do so, Phil took out his tobacco and rolled a cigarette. The lady who was sat next to him, who was a dame, was fascinated by this process. They struck up a conversation and corresponded for a while thereafter. Phil is as he is and never changes his behaviour to fit the circumstances. But in any case, and despite all of this and other horror stories, Janet and Phil remain firm friends. And she has said that once we are settled in Bahowo, she will ensure that we receive a visit from the British ambassador to Indonesia, just to make sure that all is well, and so that he is there for us, should we ever need him. And in this, I confess that I take a certain comfort. Maybe I'm worrying unnecessarily about how the future will pan out for us in Bahowo. After all, it's certainly true in our case that opposites attract. So I'm confident we will find a way of working together, using our individual and contrasting strengths to best effect. The thing about Phil is that somehow or other, things always work out in the end. So I suppose I should stop worrying. It doesn't take very long, or very much wine, for us to come to the conclusion that in all regards, we have no choice really but to move the Pentecostal Church. We have come this far, and refuse this last hurdle would be a mistake. In any case, there are benefits to us in doing so. So I phone Oni and tell him to go ahead and organise the work and the land purchase, and we agree to transfer the requisite amount of money to see it done. 
we also make plans for our next visit, which we both agree will be our last before we make our final move. We don't yet have a firm date for this, but we soon will have, I think, and in the meantime the church has to go. So it's praise the Lord and pass the sledgehammer, and may God have mercy on our wicked and sinful souls. Don't you go. Find out what further adventures are in store for Phil and Paula as they travel from Colchester to Sulawesi in the next episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Colne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. <laughs> <laughs>